Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter. Hello, my Haere mai, kia ora, and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Inika. Kia ora, Inika. Kia ora, Alison. Well, on today's show, we are going to bust some myths about male authors. Now, we do love our, love our men, don't we? Oh, we do, we do. But I think we could safely say that there's more to literary blokes than just hunting, shooting and fishing. Oh, absolutely, Alison. Although sometimes when you look at the bestseller list, you might be uh, you might yeah. be wondering. <laughs> but it is definitely going to be raining men in the literary lounge today. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, that's fiction written by men, I mean, and we're going to get absolutely soaking wet. Uh, we know that there's so many, many men to talk about uh, when we're talking about um, our authors, but uh, there's no, really not enough time to include them all. So we're just going to start with a few recent favourites, some of which may or may not be Irish, continuing our theme from <laughs> a few weeks now running. <laughs> yes, we do. We do love us some, some Irish men. So I'll <laughs> start with um, an Irish writer and um, this is a recent book and it's called All the Broken Places by John Boyne Um, now and this is available in our hard copy fiction section only at this stage but look watch the space because I'm quite sure it will be available in multiple formats before too long. Mm. So now, um, just to remind people, John Boyne is an acclaimed novelist from Dublin, Ireland. He's written dozens of short stories and, and many novels, including that best-selling novel of the Holocaust, which was called The Boy in Striped Pajamas. And that was in 2006, believe it or not. It's a long time ago. So now, Boyne's latest book, um, All the Broken Places, can be read as a standalone novel, but... It's essentially a loose sequel to The Boy in Striped Pyjamas. However, um, where his first book was aimed, I guess, primarily at, at the junior or intermediate school readers, All the Broken Places is an adult book, and it focuses on Gretel, the original older sister of the character Bruno, who was so unforgettable in The Boy in Striped Pyjamas. But look, I feel, Inika, that I, I need to acknowledge at this stage that John Boyne copped quite a bit of criticism for aspects of the first novel, um, mainly that it was um, factually inaccurate um, in regards to the concentration camps in the Holocaust. Yes, but there were, I have read that. Yeah, there were other criticisms of him as well. So I just really wanted to sort of hold hold that, hold space for that. Mm. And because as a, as a reminder, um, if we were reading this as a sequel and the original the boy in striped pajamas it was it was basically a fable about the young son of an auschwitz commandant whose name was bruno and bruno made friends with um a young jewish boy called shmuel um and he made friends they had this um relationship through the fence surrounding the concentration camp mm. and it was a story of humanity amid horror 
So look, let's fast forward to 2021. Um, and Gretel Fernsby is now 91 years old. She's a British widow and a mother of one. Now she's lived in the same Wellstone mansion block in London for decades. And she lives a quiet, comfortable life despite her deeply disturbing and dark past. She doesn't talk about her escape from Nazi Germany at the age of 12. She doesn't talk about the grim post-war years in France with her mother. And most of all, she doesn't say anything about her father, who was a commandant at one of the Third Reich's most notorious extermination camps. Mm-hmm. So in this well-to-do apartment block, a new family moves in to the apartment below her. And despite her better judgment, Gretel can't help but begin a friendship with the mother and her nine-year-old boy, Henry, even though Henry's presence brings back memories she would rather forget. See, Gretel has kept to herself over the years, never wanting to draw attention to her shocking past. But the arrival of this young boy, Henry, leads her to make some decisions that threaten to to shake her life to its very core. Mm. Now, the story moves back and forth in time between Gretel's girlhood in Germany during the war to present-day London, where she's an elderly woman whose life is haunted by the past. But um, in the present day, Gretel faces a similar crossroads to the one that she encountered all those decades ago. Um, back then, she denied her own complicity, but now she's faced with a chance to interrogate her own guilt, her grief, her remorse. And she has the choice to save a young boy. But if she does, she's going to be forced to reveal the secrets that she spent a lifetime protecting. But this time, she can make a different choice than she did before. Mm. So now, it's just an amazing book. I've loved it. Couldn't put it down. Now, its major themes are uh, guilt, complicity, and that um, the apparently inescapable cycles of grief that arise from world-shaking events. And, you know, there's been so many events that um, could cause people to experience this type of thing. Mm. Um, It's a a totally gripping story, but there's a real sense of dread that runs through the narrative. Now, in the novel, no one's family is functional. I guess that's pretty normal, isn't it? Um, (laughs) And everyone is affected by the reach of war. Um, War's tendrils sort of stretch across the planet and stretch right through time. Um, You know, we've got this sort of dysfunctional parent-child relationships and they range from the sort of stressful white people's problems where Gretel's greedy son wants to sell her luxurious flat um, and they range to the truly monstrous um, the the other unspeakable acts um, that we, and behaviours that we, we see um, and we, we learn that Gretel's mother remained a true believer in Nazism until until right at the end um, and in the present day plot the um, family that lived below Gretel, the father's abuse of his family threatens to erupt into a tragedy and the young boy Henry is a ghost-like figure reminding Gretel of of both her dead brother and her own failures as a mother 
This is a wonderful book um, and it asks those questions. Are we responsible for the sins of our fathers? And um, are we culpable if we know of atrocities but choose self-preservation? Um, so thought-provoking and moving. Mm. A magnificent read but tinged with a, a feeling of menace. Loved it. Oh, wow. So that was All the Broken Places by John Boyne. Yes. Alison, that's really reminding me of... um, So if you are going on the list and queue for All the Broken Places, which I'm sure you'll get shortly if you are in that list, um, you could also think about um, borrowing Remote Sympathy by Catherine Chichis, which covers some of these same themes um, and and looks at the war from different perspectives within Germany. Fascinating. And and that willful obliviousness of... um, that people who knew what was going on. Yeah, and were directly involved as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you, Alison. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Right. Well, my um, first book on the list um, is actually one of my favourite reads of this year. And I'm really excited to finally share this with you because, to be honest, I only ever really make this sort of sweeping statement once I hit December. You know, the hunt for the best <laughs> books of my own reading year doesn't really stop until December the 31st. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I would like to tell you a bit about um, Leonard and Hungry Paul by the Irish author Ronan Hessian. Now, Lennon and Hungry Paul was published in 2019, but I only read it this year. And, of course, as we know, it's never too late to be turned on to a great read. Absolutely. Now, Leonard and Hungry, uh, sorry, Leonard and Paul, or Hungry Paul, as he's called in the book for reasons you find out, um, are best friends in their mid-30s. Leonard is a writer and an editor for kids' non-fiction books, um, but somehow his name never seems to make it to the cover. And he's a bit too shy to kind of um, to push that barrel and see mm. why not. And his friend Paul is a casual postie filling in for the regular posties. Now, Paul knows a little about a lot of things and he generally likes to potter about the place doing not too much. Both Leonard and Paul read a lot and they like to play ball games together at least once a week. Now, they both are in their mid-30s, as I said, but they still live with their parents, their respective parents. And to paraphrase a quote from the book, they never left because their homes were happy ones. (laughs) Now, when Leonard's mother dies suddenly, leaving him alone in the family home, he soon realises that his life has actually become far too quiet, even for him. And he he likes the quiet. Now, when he goes to his weekly board game meetup, Hungry Paul notices the change, and here's a little quote from the book that I hope will tickle your fancy. At one point, Leonard reached past the chocolate and fancy biscuits to pick up a ginger nut, a sure sign that all was not what it should be. <laughs> We've all been there, especially thinking about the sampler boxes that are coming out soon at Christmas Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, after taking a bit of stock of his life, Leonard decides it's time he made some changes and he's going to start with his love life, which is currently non-existent. Mm-hmm. There is a new woman who's working in his office who seems quite nice, but has, how does one get started with this sort of thing when one doesn't have any experience at all? Well, unfortunately, his best friend Paul is not going to be much help in this department as he's quite happy with his solitary life as it is. He hangs out with Leonard and his lovely laid-back parents, Helen and Peter, um, and they're pretty much who he hangs out with. Um, a little, Another little quote here, which will show some of the really cute, quiet humour in this book. Um, Paul's parents, Peter and Helen, fell in love effortless, effortlessly. Their initial chemistry broadened into physics 
and then biology <laughs> until they were blessed with Hungry Paul's older sister. <laughs> Love it. Really charming writing in this book. Um, but Paul's older sister, Grace, who is um, definitely a lot more socially aware and onto it than he is, um, is getting a little bit antsy about the status quo in their family home. After a lifetime of looking out for and defending Paul, she's starting to wonder if he's ever going to be able to stand on his own two feet. She wants to get married to her fiancé and they've got a date. It's happening this summer. And she wants her parents to be able to enjoy their upcoming retirement as a couple without anyone having to take Paul into account all the time as they have been. Now, Grace is a really kind and caring person, but in her heart of hearts, her worry is just starting to tip over that point into frustration. Now, Leonard and Hungry Paul is a beautiful story about two men and their families, all of whom are kind and unassuming people in a world that often seems to see, you know, pushiness and the hustle and extroversion and those kind of um, traits as the so-called norm over those more slower, more thoughtful interactions and those small acts of kindness that really do enrich our lives and our communities on a daily basis. Now, this is a delightful debut novel by Dubliner Ronan Hessian, so another Irish um, Mm -hmm. uh, author here. Um, Hessian is a full-time civil servant, and he's also a long-time blues musician who performs and releases his own albums under the name Mumblin' Deaf Row. Um, Leonard and Hungry Paul was shortlisted for an Irish Book of the Year award, and in 2021, it was chosen for the One Dublin, One Book Festival, which encourages everyone in the city to read a book connected with Dublin during April every year. Now, Ronan Hessian has described his own book as a story of how two gentle young men try to find the balance between engaging with the world and becoming overwhelmed by it. It's a novel about friendship, family, kindness, and above all, the contributions that quiet people make to society. Now, Hessian's hometown of Dublin fell head over heels for Leonard and Hungry Paul, and I 1,000% have to. Um, interestingly, I suggested this book um, after reading a review of it to my dad before I read it myself. And then he read it in like no time at all and re- recommended it right back to me and to everybody else that he knows. Um, it is just one of those rare books that I think is just guaranteed to warm the heart of pretty much anyone that picks it up. And it will definitely make you look at the world and all of those in it with a little more empathy. And I think that's a lovely one for a Christmas read. Now, you'll find Leonard and Hungry Paul in our adult fiction collection. It's also available in Libyan Overdrive as an e-book. And you can borrow it as an e-audio book on BorrowBox as well, which is one of our other um, e-platforms. That sounds great, Annika. And I'm so glad that your dad um, enjoyed it too. Oh, he so, loved it. Yeah. Oh, that is good. I'm going to um, grab that myself next time I, I find it. Well, look, um, no. I'll wanted to talk about um, another one. There's no easy way of segueing to to our next title. So I'm just going to jump over there. We're going to go sure. to America. Go to America. So this one is called The Trees, and it's by um, the writer Percival Everett. Um, it's published about a year ago, and it's available in multiple formats. Now, The Trees is a book about racism and revenge killings in Mississippi. It was actually shortlisted for the 2022 Booker Prize. And the writer, Percival Everett, is a prolific and critically acclaimed novelist. He's a short story writer and a poet. Now, he's African-American, but he does... 
um, actively resist the use of labels that he feels could limit the nature scope and audience for his writing. Mm. And I love the bio, the author bio that he supplies um, for his books. And it goes like this. Percival Everett is author to more than 30 books. He voted for Joe Biden. <laughs> well, alrighty then. So I knew I was going to like him <laughs> just by reading that. So good on him. He's very self-effacing. <laughs> so now the synopsis of the story goes something like this. Um, when a pair of detectives from the Mississippi Bureau of in- Investigation arrived to investigate a series of brutal murders in the rural town of Money, Mississippi. They meet expected resistance from the local sheriff, his deputy, the coroner, and a string of racist white townsfolk. The murders present puzzle, for at each crime scene there's a second dead body, that of a man who resembles Emmett Till. Now, the detectives suspect that these are killings of retribution, but discover that eerily similar murders are taking place all over the country. As the bodies pile up, the detectives uncover a history that refuses to be buried. So, um, now, a quick reminder for listeners about Emmett Till. Now, he was a a 14-year-old African-American boy who was abducted, tortured and lynched in um, Mississippi in 1955 after he was accused of disrespecting a white woman in her family's grocery store. And Emmett Till became a symbol of the American civil rights movement. It's just such an awful, tragic story. Now, um, this book, The Trees, is is basically satire. It's a, mm. a fast-paced comedy with elements of crime and horror. And it directly addresses present-day racism in, in America in a bold and shocking manner. So our setting, um, as we said before, it's a small town called Money, Mississippi. And um, in Money, we meet a dysfunctional white family unit with its morose matriarch, Granny C, and her son, Wheat Bryant, and her nephew, Junior Junior. Um, now, in this time, it's, it's usually not, but in this novel, it's the time of the white folks to be rendered in a, a grotesque caricature. And um, the actions of this dysfunctional clan are played out as a a nightmarish comedy. But um, a very ominous note is struck as Granny C expresses remorse for a past deed. Mm. And she says, I wronged that little piccaninny. And and she says that in a brooding way. And this is where the real life Emmett Till comes into the story. Mm. Um, now, and as the tone of the book becomes more and more disturbingly gruesome, a deeper purpose to this cruel humour emerges. So basically, um, Wheat Bryant is found dead and brutally disfigured with the mutilated corpse of a young black man right next to him. But this corpse goes missing, leaving only Wheat to the investigators. And then the exact same thing happens to Junior Junior with the same disappearing cadaver. Mm. And all at once, we're in a ride in a horror story. And you see, Money, Mississippi is a real place. It was where uh, 14-year-old Emmett Till was lynched in 1955. And um, we learn that Granny C is actually the white woman who accused 
image of making suggestive ah. remarks. And the corpse that who appears and then disappears is actually Emmett Till. And he has returned to take his revenge on Granny C's descendants. Oh, wow. So this is a ghost story, so, too. Yeah, so it's a ghost story. Yeah. So um, as the, um, the story is repeated all across America, the crime genre comes into play. And we, we look at um, the notions of justice and law enforcement in what is still a very racist culture. Um, the two black officers from the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation provide quite a wisecracking double act uh, full of dry observation. And um, when asked by an FBI agent why they joined the service, they both say in unison, we joined so whitey wouldn't be the only one in the room with a gun. <laughs> so um, as the the lynched dead begin to rise up. It really made me start to think about the walking dead. Um, there's widespread panic across America and a sense of impending reckoning. But um, we get the feeling that there's not going to be a satisfying resolution. So now the Guardian review of the trees said that the genius of this novel is that in an age of reactionary populism, it goes on the offensive, using popular forms to address a deep political issue as page-turning comic horror. It's a powerful wake-up call, as well as a, an act of literary restitution. So this is just uh, an outstanding book. Um, it's um, I felt that... It's, Another genius of the book was that you can read it as a police procedural, um, you can read it as a gothic horror, or you can read it as a political call to action, or all three at once. Oh, wow. And um, what I discovered while reading the book, I could really feel its similarity to the New Zealand book Better the Blood by Michael Bennett, and which we're going to be talking about in our next episode. So watch the space. But oh, awesome. an outstanding read, The Trees by Percival Everett. It's also giving me vibes of um, Jordan Peele's movies, you know, Get Out, and um, I can't remember oh. what the latest one was. You know those... Yes. Movies? Yeah. So that sounds like a good one for fans of Jordan Peele too. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that's, mm. that's a good reminder. Well, I am jumping back into the Irish, Alison. <laughs> I promise that this is going to be the last title of my Irish spring until the next time. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, if you uh, have recently read and loved the Booker Awards shortlisted book, Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan, and you're eager for more in that vein, then this might be your book, um, Queen of Dirt Island by Donald Ryan. And Donald Ryan might be your man after Claire mm. Keegan. So Queen of Dirt Island is a story of generations of women living together in one household in the small town of Nena in County Tipperary, Ireland. And it's set um, across the 1980s and 90s and a little bit into the 2000s. And Donald Ryan has dedicated this, this book to the strong women of his own family. So when we um, start the book, um, we, it's the day that the newborn Saoirse Aylward is being brought home from the hospital. Now, her mother Eileen and her grandmother Mary, for a tragic reasons, are literally left holding the baby on this day. Now, money is tight in the Elwood household, and Eileen is estranged from her own family for reasons that, that are revealed, and they kind of rise slowly to much more prominence as the plot progresses. But right from the start, her young husband's family take her in as their own. 
And in particular, Eileen's mother-in-law, Mary, becomes her rock and her dearest friend despite their age gaps. She acts, Mary acts as Eileen, uh, as both grandmother, um, partner and co-parent to Eileen and Saoirse in this house. She fiercely takes on anyone who dares to suggest that there should be a man in charge of that household. And she provides, and this is a little quote from the book, love with the same gruff constancy throughout their lifetimes. Now, forging the way forward for this family is not always easy. It's a little place that they live in, and it has a long memory. There's national, religious, and personal politics in the mix, of course, in uh, Ireland in this this time, um, and they often intersect. And everyone in this little town knows or thinks that they know everyone else's business. But there's this warm bubble of love and loyalty that exists in between the Elwood women, and it becomes this refuge and a source of strength to them and then also to many others in their wider community. Here's a little slippet from midway through the book, which um, really, to me, um, pulls together many of the themes and the vibe of this book. Um, in this scene, um, the baby is taking its first steps between mother and grandmother. Here's the quote. Um, trying to keep, uh, trying her best to keep herself upright, to move forward through the tiny universe between their pairs of outstretched hands. Now, this to me is a beautiful little um, sort of like, it's almost like a little summary in itself of mm. what this book is all about. The book is steeped in small, perfect moments like these. Um, not all are beautiful. Some are terribly tragic. Um, but wow, the way um, Donald Rand can capture a moment is just exquisite. In uh, The Queen of Dirt Island, you are seeing how families can provide a safe place and a space in times of joy and trouble and how they can pull together to catch those members who might fall through the cracks otherwise. Now, if you haven't read Donna Ryan's books before, um, I really think you need to jump into there. Um, he has been described as the king of the new wave of Irish writers. All of his novels, novels have been number one bestsellers in Ireland, and that's no small feat um, mm. with the number of wonderful writers there. And he's won the Irish Book of the Year four times, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, he grew up himself in Nina, um, where Queen of Dirt Island and his 2020 title, Strange Flowers, which I reviewed, I think, last year, um, both of books are set in this town. And the families that sit at the heart of Strange Flowers, which also um, there was a multi-generational and somewhat unconventional family at the heart of that one, they um, also appear in key roles in the world of Queen of Dirt Island. So although you can read them as separate novels, I'd highly recommend reading them as a pair um, for that full immersion into the world, the family spheres and that setting. So ideally you'd read Strange Flowers before Queen of Dirt Island for that chronology and the context, but I mean, you can do it either way. Um, both of the novels are concise at less than 250 pages each, and there's um, a, num a decent number of copies um, in both the adult fiction collection and an overdrive as ebooks um, to go around as well. Oh, that sounds wonderful, Annika. Thanks so much for that. Now, look, before we um, finish up for the day, I wondered if you wanted to put in a plug for our Books and Beyond Online Reading Challenge on Beanstack. Oh, I'd love to. Look, the summer months are coming. We, well, summer is technically here, although it the is. weather has not that crashed hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I think this is a perfect time to get cracking on the Books and Beyond online reading challenge on Beanstack. Um, it's been going for three months and it still has another um, four months to run, uh, running through the summer until April 2023. So this is a great time, if you haven't already, to turn over a new leaf with your reading and get it freshened up for the new year. So if you would like to join the Books and Beyond online reading challenge, you can visit us on Facebook. We are at Books and Beyond with Auckland Libraries. Or you can download the Beanstack Tracker app for free and select Auckland Libraries as your site to get started. Now, in the challenge, we've got 20 book prompts and they are guaranteed to grow your reading in lots of different directions. We've also got loads of suggested books and book lists right there in the app and they match up so you can jump into them or you can choose your own prompts, uh, books to fit the prompts. So everything is waiting for you in the Beanstack Tracker app or you can jump onto the website, aucklandlibraries.beanstack.com. It's all free can get on your phone or your tablet or on your computer. You can ask your local librarians if you need any help getting started or you could email us at reading at aucklandcouncil.govt.nz and ask us what it's all about and we'll send you the links. Yeah, oh, great. And look, I can um, vouch for the fact that it's really, really straightforward, very intuitive, and I'm loving um, my time on the Beanstack Tracker app. I'm awesome. really loving getting my badges, so it's, <laughs> it's great. Well, look, um, and next week um, we're going to be talking about our um, Top 100, which has just dropped. So there's some hot books for summer reading. So now... Um, until then, enjoy your reading. Thank you for tuning in today. Uh, take care and hare ra. This program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day, every day.